Hello and welcome to a new episode of Violin Class, the podcast for anyone who is learning the violin as an adult. My name is Julia and I'm a violinist and violin teacher and I'm here to share my tips and experience to make learning the violin a little bit easier. It has been a long while since I have released a new episode. Uh, Life has gotten in the way a little bit. This kind of started as a quarantine project um, and got pushed to the side a little bit over the last year or so. But uh, I've had really, really nice messages and great feedback from all of my listeners. And if you've written to me, thank you so much. It really means a lot. I know I haven't responded to a lot of the messages too, which I feel terrible about. But you know how, you know, if when a friend writes to you and you're like, I have to sit down and write to you properly, and then it's been three days, and then it's been three weeks, and you're like, it's weird if I respond now, right? That's kind of what I've been uh, dealing with on my end. So thank you again, everyone who's written to me. My sincere apologies for those of you who have not heard back. I will get to you, um, and not in a timely manner, but I will get to you. So just a couple of updates for the future of this podcast. Uh, As I said, this started out as a bit of a COVID project, and I wasn't sure if I would have the time to get back to it properly once, you know, life got back mostly to normal. Um, But I kind of been missing it. Uh, I've had a lot of ideas recently, and again, having messages and knowing that real people are out there listening and that it's helping you guys uh, really made me decide that I'm committing. We're, we're, we're back. I'm coming back with some new episodes. Um, give me a, a few weeks to get my bearings a little bit, get organized. I want to do this properly, have, have a website up, all that good stuff. But in the meantime, I did record a quick little episode to hold this over until I'm ready to come back full force. So thank you for listening. Without further ado, here is the new episode. In this episode, I'm going to be talking all about setting up your practice space. So this is a bit of a two-parter. The first one is, the first part is going to be just the things and the tools that you need to have a nice, successful practice session. And then the second half is for all of you guys who have maybe a less than ideal Uh, environment, we'll say, for practicing. I'm all about making violin and classical music more accessible and approachable. So if you're someone who lives in a small apartment with roommates, neighbors, thin walls, uh, eventually even little kids, I have a few ideas and solutions for you in the second half of this episode. I'm going to go over everything you need to uh, practice well, everything you need in your practice space, but then also I'll give you some cost-effective alternatives if you're not ready or not able to invest quite yet. And you'll see it's pretty minimal. You really, at the end of the day, just need yourself, your hands, and your instrument to, to, to learn the violin. But there are a few things that I think are important that do help a little bit. Violin, like any instrument or any skill really that you're learning, takes a lot of focus and requires you to enter a bit of a flow state. So the most important thing that you can have really, which is not a thing, uh, but is a, it's a quiet space and ideally a quiet permanent space in the sense that it's it's a, a place that you're going to be practicing every single time. You don't have to move around too much. So 
I would highly suggest that you have a little corner of your bedroom, maybe your living room, where you can set out some of your things, including your instrument, so that whenever you go to practice every day or every other day or however often you're practicing, you don't have to think too hard. You don't have to take anything out of the closet. It's all there. It's waiting for you. It is reminding you that you have some violin practice to do. I think that's a really, really a key for having a consistent practice routine. And if a quiet permanent area is not an option for you, I have some suggestions maybe in the second half. They're not necessarily going to be cost effective, but there are things that you can, places that you can rent or or places you can go if, you know, maybe you have small children in the house and you just really can't get any quiet time in your home at the time. So uh, as far as the items that you need, I'm just going to kind of list them through really quickly and then we'll kind of get into the whys and any of my suggestions. So the first one obviously is your instrument and any of your care materials. Uh, I don't think I'll spend very long on that because if you're listening to this, you probably have that already. Music stand is number one on my list because it's really important for having good posture while you're playing. So if for any reason you can't have a music stand or you ordered one and it's not there yet and you're kind of just reading off the table, here's an alternative. I would really suggest that you take all of your music and you actually stick it up on a wall with about eye level with some painter's tape, just simple plain painter's tape so you can easily rip it off. Why? Because if you are sitting and like reading off of a table or even worth standing and reading off of a table, everything's going to be a little bit droopy. Your posture is not going to be so good. And in the long run, it's going to lead to some problems. You know, if you have to do this every now and then it's fine, but for daily practice, it is really best to have a music stand. So you don't need to have anything fancy. The nicer ones are the ones with the full metal back. They're a bit more comfortable for writing things. You don't have to put a book behind them. So if you have the choice, that's my pick. And um, if not, just the little portable ones are just fine. I played off of those for many years when I was growing up and they get the job done. At the end of the day, you just need something to hold your music and a pencil. That brings me nicely to my second thing on the list, which is some sort of writing implement. And specifically, if you are using physical music, that's going to be a pencil because you want to be able to easily erase and adjust any of your notes. And while I'm practicing and during lessons, I'm frequently, frequently writing in my music. Uh, Some people can keep it all in their head, but I think it's a lot easier for when you get back, you know, at the end of the day, just so that you know exactly what to do and you can easily take notes, uh, change fingering, circle something that you might have forgotten, maybe a wrong note, an accidental. And that way, if you ever want to use a clean copy of your music or just take out some of your notes, it's very easy to do so. And, uh, and yeah, a pencil is very standard for any musician and something you should always have in your case. If you have a digital setup, so it means you're reading things off of an iPad, first of all, yay you, like you, that's very, very nice. I think it's something that a lot of professionals are starting to invest in and and go towards because it's just so much easier to keep track of all of your music. If you are able to do this and have a nice tablet, um, 
the the best is to have like an iPad Pro, the big the the large one that has kind of the paper size. I don't have one of those. I just use a regular iPad. And then all you really need with that is some sort of stylus or writing device and a uh, Bluetooth pedal, which you don't need per se. Um, you can get away a long time without it, but it is very nice if you're doing anything that's longer than a page. So um, you're off the hook if you have a digital setup, but you still want to have an easy way of noting things and writing things and making any adjustments clearly in your music. And if you're one of those people who really can just remember things once, you know, between your lessons and you don't feel like you have to take notes, I would still encourage you to err on the side of writing things down because this might not be the last time you're playing this piece. And when it's been a few months and you're going on and, you know, you've played a bunch of other repertoire and you're coming back to this exercise or this piece, uh, you will more than likely have forgotten some of those more specific details. So always have a pencil, take notes, makes your violin teacher very happy. The next thing on my list is really a non-negotiable for me. And, you know, people know that they're supposed to have a music stand, I think, but this one I, I often see people practicing without, and that is a mirror. So ideally, if you can get a full length mirror, you can swing that like on the back of your door. That is really the best. So you can see your whole posture, see how you're standing. Uh, if your shoulders are relaxed, you can turn around and look at your thumbs, all of that stuff. At the very least, the smallest size I would go is one where you can see your bow clearly. And the reason this is really important, especially in, I would say, even the, the, the early weeks of practicing, is if you've ever looked down at your strings, when you're playing your bow, it looks like you're playing straight. But when you look in the mirror, oftentimes it actually will be quite a bit off. So the the angle that you get directly on your violin is a lot less accurate than when you're looking at the mirror and then adjusting. There's a little bit of a learning curve. I, I find people are a little uncomfortable the first couple of weeks when you're looking at a mirror. It's almost like trying to write with your left hand or correct something um, with having someone point through a mirror, but it doesn't take that long and the adjustment will give you a lot more accuracy at fixing any technical issues that you're working on. So gotta have a mirror when you're practicing. Next up is a metronome. So I think most of us just use apps on our phone these days. I do actually still keep an old school little digital metronome that I got back before iPhones were common, or maybe I was too young to have an iPhone, but I still have it around because sometimes I'm just in an extra distracting mode. And I know that anyone who's messaging me is going to take me out of the flow. And I like to just have that there, or maybe my phone is charging. So definitely don't need to have a separate thing. You can just use a free metronome app, but uh, at some point you will need one. I don't use them for let's say the first few months of when I'm, you know, someone's starting the violin. So if you just started, it's not necessary quite yet, but you can start looking at some free apps and downloading them and just getting those ready for when you have a little bit more experience under your belt. As far as phones go, I think that they're a really valuable tool, you know, with the metronome, also with tuners uh, for recording yourself, having Spotify playlists of your 
pieces to listen to easily. However, when you're practicing, I think it's best to put it on airplane mode. And that's because it's really easy to get, as I was saying earlier, it's really easy to get distracted by a message, um, especially if people are constantly writing to you or, you know, if you're taking a little break automatically, you just want to check your emails, check your texts. So if you can commit to having your phone on airplane mode for the duration of your practice session, I promise you're going to be a lot more effective and a lot more productive as well. So that is probably a pretty obvious one, but I know someone out there needs to hear it. Last couple of things, I think it's important to have a practice journal or some some sort of notebook as well. If you're taking notes in your lessons, good for you. You can go ahead and revisit that during the week really easily, but you should also be kind of keeping track more or less of what you're getting done over the week, uh, which scale you're working on, any etudes, just little things like that. It does not have to be super elaborate, although if you're into that, it certainly can be, but just some sort of note um, that at the very least reminds you the next day of what you've done and what your plan was for the next time that helps you really keep on track. And then I think the last one I mentioned, which I'll go quickly, is a stand light. I think that's a nice little accessory to have if you like to practice in the evening and you don't want to have too much uh, lights on or, you know, something like that. Again, if you're digital, don't even need that. But um, that's really it. I know I talked about everything for for a while, but at the end of the day, really just um, your phone, music stand, a mirror, and your instrument – that, that's all you need for, for practicing. And that's all I think a lot of professionals really use. Um, they might have a piano, <laughs> but you know, you don't need that. You don't need to be buying any gadgets or anything fancy other than my list, in my opinion. All right, part two, let's chat about some solutions for those of you that don't have the luxury of having a quiet space of the house or your own practice room or you know, a nice house that has no neighbors. So probably a lot of you and I lived in apartments for quite some time. So I have some experience firsthand as well. So the first thing I'll say is that a lot of musicians, at least in my age group and in uh, in Montreal, and I think a lot of other big cities, they are not... (laughs) They're not living in big houses with their own practice rooms either. So do not feel limited at all if you have roommates and you have um, thin walls and people around you and people that are going to complain if you play too late. That is very standard. And I would say a lot of gigging musicians and professional musicians, at least on on the younger end, are absolutely dealing with that and making it happen as well. So the number one thing you're going to need to get if you have to be more mindful than others about the sound is a practice mute. So there are several types of mutes. You might have seen them online. Generally, they're not very expensive. It's a nice little tool for, for, you know, that's pretty accessible to everyone. The little ones that go just on a string or two, that's more of an orchestral mute. That's not going to cut a ton of sound and isn't going to make a big difference for your practice. What I'm talking about are the big rubber ones that have four prongs and also the metal ones. Personally, I prefer the rubber ones. They don't cut quite as much sound. So if you really need to be quiet, the metal one's going to be better for you, but they're not as good for the bridge. The the rubber one you can kind of play with all day and all night and it's not going to damage. The metal ones just have to be a bit more careful or maybe just use it sometimes. So ideally, 
you, if you're practicing with a rubber mute, which I think probably most of my students are, maybe half of them are at least, uh, you will try to find some time where you can practice without it as well. And ideally your lesson time will be without it just because it does change the timbre a little bit. Sometimes it can even affect the intonation just a little bit, you know, not not enough that it's an issue and that you shouldn't be using it, but it, it does change things and it takes your, your, set, your ear a second to readjust. So try to have a mix of both. And one way of facilitating that, I would say, is being mindful of when you're practicing and maybe talking with your neighbors or checking in with them if you're brave um, to see a little bit how they live their life. Maybe they're out at work from nine to six and you get home at five or, you know, there's, there's a time in the day where there's less people around. You're bothering less people we can say. And I know this is not always going to work if you have neighbors on all four sides and above and below, there's always someone home, but use common sense, be respectful. Don't practice at six in the morning or 11 at night. And if you're unlucky and you have a neighbor that is really not having it and is complaining, I know someone who's had the cops called on them while practicing their cello before, even though they were practicing at a reasonable hour. Um, you need to check your bylaws for the city that you live in. So for instance, in Montreal, you are within your legal right to be practicing a musical instrument, no matter what it is, I think even drums, um, between X and X hour, I think until 10 PM. It might even be 11. So, you know, that's on the late side, I think, but that's something to keep in mind. At the end of the day, you're allowed to practice. And so if you've taken all the precautions to not bother people and be respectful, at a certain point, you have to just put on your mute and practice your instrument and not feel too bad. Are in a situation where you really can't be practicing at home. And again, this is not the budget solution, but it is a possibility. You can rent a practice studio or some sort of practice space. And not everywhere will have this. This is more, I think, in big cities, but I would assume if you're having noise complaints or noise issues, you're probably in a more urban setting. So just Google around you musician studio, recording studio, musician practice space musician practice space and you should find some things um maybe even artist studios just some somewhere where you can rent and space share with either other musicians or you know maybe a band that has rehearsals and they they are not going to be using that space the whole time and oftentimes they will rent it out for a fee so the, the limitations of this is that oftentimes you are renting it for a specific time. So maybe that works really, really well for you, kind of like going to the gym, like, okay, after work, I have an hour in my practice room, I'm going to go practice, then come home, and then it's done. It was focused, there was no noise, I wasn't bothering anyone. Um, but that can also be limiting if you don't feel like practicing at that time or, you know, you have an uncertain schedule sometimes. So again, it's a solution for some people. It works very, very well for others. It's not as practical as maybe just practicing with a mute and adjusting your hours a little bit and, you know, hoping and waiting for the day where you'll have your very own practice room couple other things you can do to your home to make the sound a little bit less intense is uh, having a rug. 
the thicker the better. You can also sound treat your walls. This isn't going to cut all of the sound. Um, if anything, it's going to cut the sound from coming in more so than going out, but it does make an, a difference, especially if you have thin walls and roommates, just something to kind of absorb uh, that loud violin sound. The last thing I am going to touch on, which some of you, probably more so the ones that are just starting out, may be like, hey, why don't you talk about this? are the silent electric violins. Why did I not mention those if you're dealing with a um, noise situation? And the reason for that is um, I'm not a fan. And here's why. And this is absolutely no disrespect for anyone who plays uh, electric violin or who's practicing with one. And that work. if that works for you, that's great. If you like it, good for you. But as a classical violinist, I don't consider an electric violin to be exactly the same instrument. In the same sense, I think that if you are a concert pianist and you know you're you're practicing timbre and tone on a real wood piano, it's just not quite the same as a an electric keyboard. Same with guitar. Uh, they look the same. They can do a lot of the same things, but a lot of the work that we're doing, I think, in classical music is in the tone and the timbre. And when you have something that's amplified, even, you know, plugged in, it's just not quite the same. And the instruments are also much heavier. The balance is different. So for me, they're two different instruments. If it works for you, if you have one, if you like it, go right ahead. It's just not something that I personally am going to recommend. And not to speak for my colleagues, but I would I would venture to guess most other violinists wouldn't, and they might not be quite so gentle as I am when explaining why. <laughs> that said, electric violins are a lot of fun. I do have one that I like to pull out every now and then, but um, is it a good alternative for someone who is learning classical violin or an acoustic violin? My verdict is no, sorry. But if you like it and you've been playing with it, you know, you do you. All right, team, that is it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you got a few tips from... I will have a new season that I'm in the works of writing and recording. So that will be out in the next few weeks. I'm also working on a website as well. So it'll be a lot easier to communicate with you guys. You don't have to email me to join the email list. But since I'm mentioning it, if you would like to be notified by email for new happenings. Um, I have a very old school email list, which you can join by emailing me at violinclasspod at gmail.com. Uh, equally, if you have any questions, comments, ideas, I would love to hear from you. Please write to me. I love to read uh, just who you guys are, wh where you're from, what you're up to, how long you've been playing violin. And shortly there'll be a website and everything will be a little bit more official and user-friendly. But thank you all for hanging in there and I'll see you in the next few weeks or so with an official new season of the Violin Class Podcast. Take care and I will see you then.